Hey everybody, you're tuned into Unlikely Places Pop and Rock Radio podcast section, and I'm going to do an intro for you. I haven't done these in a while, and I think I should start getting back into doing these. Today's show, we have Vic Wayne of Star Collector. Star Collector is a band from Canada. I have all their albums on CD except Black Eyed Soul. We laugh about it. They ran out of press of that. So I got all the other ones. Definitely one of my top bands right now in the power pop scene. They're really good writers, really good songcraft, and Vic's the main man behind the soundcraft with a bunch of the other members as well. Listen closely, you might learn something new. So here we go. Let's get into it. Hi, this is Terry Draper from Plateau. I'm Brendan O'Hare. I used to be in Teenage Fan Club. Hey, this is Tyler Green. Owen Radford. It's Josh Bradley. Tino Troy from Flying Mantis. Blanny Flowers. I'm Frankie Siragusa, and you're tuning in to Unlikely Places Pop and Rock Radio Show with Vinyl Man Jeb. Let's just have a chat down here. You're listening to Mad Wasp Radio. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Vinyl Man Jeb of Unlikely Places Pop and Rock Radio. And today I have with me Vic Wayne of Star Collector. Hey, Vic, how are you? Hey, I'm great, Jeremy. How are you? Good. We're here for part two, but part one will be lost media, non-existent. Uh, so, very excited to have you. Just pulling up the questions as I set up here. Uh, no be, everybody's going to be like, where's part one? I need part one. Uh, maybe one day take some of the questions out of, uh, out of there or something for the radio show, maybe. All right. So, we're going to start off right with the very first question I ask everybody. Uh, what got you into music? What got me into music? Well, it's interesting, you know, my parents weren't... Um necessarily that musical they played a lot of music in the house my dad maybe you know strummed a little mandolin he had a nice Ooh. old uh, like vintage gibson mandolin but he just played a tiny bit and my mom didn't really play music but they always liked music and it was always seemed to be in playing in the house and um when i was about 10 i decided i wanted to uh be a drummer because i was a drummer before i was a front guy oh wow yeah so um so I started on drums when I was 10 and I dragged my little brother along. I wanted him to play guitar, but I think my parents said, no, you got to learn piano first. <laughs> so uh, my little brother learned piano and, um, and then we started uh, doing, you know, what we tend to call imaginary or fake bands, which were just bands that we had concocted in our heads. You know, they <laughs> had members who played certain instruments and they, we had all these song titles, but of course we couldn't write songs yet. <laughs> so uh, it was like all in its infancy, but we were really young. And then uh, by the time we were in our mid teens, uh, we actually started forming bands. And by the time we were in kind of our mid to late teens, we actually formed our first, what we call our first real band, which was a band called the mods, which <laughs> funnily enough played mod music. Ooh. <laughs> which we still love to this day it's still a huge part of my brother adam and my own uh musical um yeah and i noticed on demo model 256 or uh 256 there uh you have the um you know the interludes as the mods which i thought was very very cool off that <laughs> thanks if i could redo it i probably would have made them a little shorter but um <laughs> they don't actually they're only on the cd version funnily enough so really um, oh yeah yeah, they're not. Uh, if you go to like our Bandcamp page, um, oh, okay. So, oh, very cool. But, uh, but uh, anyhow, it was. Um, yeah, though that was a really great time. We grew up in a city called Edmonton, which is in the province next door to where I live now in BC. And there was a really uh, vibrant alternative music scene happening there when we were uh, kids and or you know teens. And uh, it produced some really cool bands um, that went on to other, you know, levels of uh, being well-known and not. There's like a hardcore punk band that's sort of known all over the world called SNFU that came from that scene. Huh. 
Um, there was a, another great power pop band that ended up, people think they're from Toronto, but they started in Edmonton, uh, which is the Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, wow. Um, there's a, a, you know, an alt country band that, uh, kind of was doing alt country before the Wilco's of the, of the world, um, called hmm. Junior Gone Wild who are still together. And, and, and it, so a lot of these, it was a real vibrant scene and, uh, but it was a very small scene. So it was very, everybody knew everybody. And if one band broke up, suddenly a new band would form with two guys from this band, <laughs> one guy from that band. And, and that's kind of what happened. So in the mods, in the mods, it was me on drums, my brother Adam on bass, and a fellow named Dave on guitar. And uh, we were like, we were the jam. In our heads, we were the jam. <laughs> we looked like the jam. We we covered the jam. We loved every song. We poured over every song, every album. The jam were like our heroes. <laughs> and uh, and that was kind of what we got. You know, was was our um, our real musical. Um, that real moment where we really, I think, realized that music is something we all wanted to do. So uh, that was the first band. And then Dave went his separate way for a while, and Adam and I played in another band together. But then uh, jump fast forward a few years to Star Collector. Um, I had played in a band with Steve, my current guitar player, um, before Star Collector. And uh, that band, when that band split up after six years, uh, of working really hard and and did quite well up here in Canada, but um, you know, well, quite well is relative, but you know, for an independent band, quite well. So there was this little lull of time after that band split up, and out of the blue, I got a phone call from Dave, the guy from the Mods, hmm. who was living in a city not too far from here called Victoria, and he said, uh, "So are you playing with anybody these days?" And I said, uh, "Actually, for the first time in like ten years, I'm not." Hmm. And he said, "Well." Uh, how would you feel about, uh, I was thinking of moving to Vancouver. How'd you feel about writing some songs together again? And I just thought, well, you know, what do I have to lose? And I knew that he and I had had a good writing. We were quite, you know, synchronous in our writing together. And he came over to uh, Vancouver, brought a drummer with him. Drummer Ooh. stayed about a month, went, then took off and left. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Dave and I started writing songs and we wrote the whole Demo Model 256 album in a very, very short time and uh, even wrote some other stuff but just as we were finishing the recording things kind of didn't work out between us and i decided i really wanted to finish it so at that by that point we had our drummer ringo <laughs> and i and had this album that was being mixed by a, a well-known guy named garth richardson who's worked with like Catherine wheel and some other really big bands like the chili peppers and yeah stuff. i was gonna say you mentioned the chili peppers when you mentioned like oh wow <laughs> yeah so he'd worked with some pretty big acts and and we just by a very bizarre set of coincidences met each other and he had relocated to bc right around this time and he heard what we were doing and he liked it one thing led to another and he ended up mixing the album so i had my a drummer and i had this album i was really really proud of but i kind of needed more of a band even though dave left i still felt like i needed to uh see it through and right around that time steve kind of came back in the picture and huh. here we are 25 years later and star collector is as uh, as prominent as always right <laughs> well i don't know <laughs> but, right right <laughs> but we're, we're definitely in a good place right now last year has been pretty exciting it's been really cool i've been talking to people like have you heard of star collector like of course of course we have and i'm like ah 
And I was like, I was talking to the guy from Big Star Records, the owner Rex there. And I was just like, yeah, they're awesome, aren't they? And he was like, yeah. But uh, does the name Star Collector, is it monkeys inspired? I think I remember asking that one, but I'm going to ask it again here. Uh, It is, in fact. Yeah, that was the very first band that I liked when I was a kid that I remember loving when I, you know, like I remember hearing Last Train to Clarksville and Stepping Stone and I'm a Believer and, you know, all those amazing monkey songs, Um, you know, right when I was like a real small guy yeah. a wee one and uh <laughs> and i always and i still like them even though you know a lot of people there's times when they've come in and out of fashion and you know um but i just love the songs and i love the the band and uh it kind of was a when dave and i were starting this band it was kind of like one of those artists that you know we we grew up loving the who and the jam and the dave clark five and the beatles and the stones and and the kinks and all that kind of stuff. And mm. the monkeys were just kind of part of that. So we just thought Star Collector was kind of funny because it's actually a song about groupies, you know, kind of like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink moment. But uh, we also <laughs> just liked the way it sounded. And um, and if people said, oh, is that from the monkeys? We thought, well, that'd be pretty cool. We can actually reference. Uh, and there you go. <laughs> yeah, we know our station did a two-hour monkey special with uh, Rick Del Santo, and we had a really fun time just talking uh, monkeys. So what was it like working across from Sloan during the uh, recording and process of writing for Black Eyed Soul? Uh, well, I mean, we only, you know, rubbed shoulders with him a handful of times while we were mm-hmm. there. It's a big studio and, you know, it's not like we were both living there, although yeah, we did you. spend quite a few hours while we were there. Um, but, you know, they were doing their thing. We were doing ours. And I, I do remember quite um, vividly actually hearing them working on uh, one of my favorite songs of theirs, uh, If It Feels Good, Do It. Huh. Um, they were working that was the album pretty together they were working on while we were in there and i do i do actually recall that but um yeah you know met them briefly uh, they were my one of my brothers went to school in halifax where they were originally from and they kind of knew him a little bit and um you know we actually had played with them once e- eons ago when right when their first uh, first album was coming out we did a show with them at a, a really yeah. really cool club here in town called the town pump that doesn't exist anymore <laughs> but um uh, so there was a bunch of tie-ins there and they were, they had rehearsed at a rehearsal space that we used to rehearse at back <laughs> in the like, late nineties and stuff. So, um, but I can't really say that I know them at all. I'm still a fan as well. I like, uh, I like a lot of their stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, they're one of Canada's longest serving and best bands and, and, you know, especially in, in the few, power pop scene too. So in, well, exactly. Well in the for power that. Pop scene. Yeah. yeah. And, and once in a while they get thrown in, you know, we get mentioned with them, uh, in interviews or reviews and stuff. And it's quite flattering again, because they're a band that, um, you know, even though, you know, they've, they're much more well-known, it's still, a um, a flattering to be kind of mentioned in the same breath. Yeah. As a band like that. It's, oh, a, yeah. it's a band that we musically, um, probably share a lot of similarities to like, even down to their lead guitar player, Patrick, you can tell that he's a rock guy. Mm-hmm. And that some of the other guys soften his rock guy thing a little with their pop. Thing. <laughs> yeah, well, Steve and our band is a rock guy, and ah. he, and I think and I think there's a little bit of that thing, that same kind of balance that maybe Patrick and some of the other guys in Sloan, uh, you know, weigh each other up and down with, or balance each other out with. I mean, is something that kind of happens with Steve and I as well. Is um, you know, I grew up with with the British pop thing, and he grew up with the kind of the American rock, you know, hard not hard rock all the time. You know, might be more like Cheap Trick and oh, I got you, yeah, vintage Aerosmith and that kind of thing. But he also grew up loving Eddie Van Halen because he's a bit younger than I am too. 
And, um, you know, and he grew up in a small town where you weren't, um, you wouldn't have heard like Echo and the Bunnymen as a yeah, thing. No. Would, I got but where, where yeah. Adam and I were, where Adam and I grew up in the, in the scene we were in, in a bigger city, um, bands like that were, you know, pretty much part of the fabric of our growing up. Yeah. So, so anyhow, but Steve and I have got a really great relationship and have for, you know, all these years in, in that we both kind of, you know, the things that he's really good at, maybe I'm not so good at and vice versa. You know, he's mm. great with visuals. He does our artwork. He makes our videos. Uh, but he's also, you know, a quieter kind of guy. And I'm, you know, as you can see, you know, more <laughs> outgoing. <laughs> I got Never you. afraid to chat. And um, and I'm okay with the promo side of things. And I know, know I know that feeling. Uh, yeah, I feel yeah like, so, but it works know, out really well because if you have two guys doing promos and two guys ready to chat, it sometimes it could be a great thing, but it also could be like a, uh, you know, a, a competition too, and you don't want that. You know, a healthy competition no, is good. No, but, and, you know, and yeah. I can't play a lead to save my life, so it's not. You know, <laughs> you he, he's like he's like your quintessential lead guitar player. He can just pull leads. Yeah, I'm more of a rhythm guy myself, so I like, fully understand. Oh, incredible, <laughs> just you know. Like the stuff he does noodling around in a rehearsal is oh, better than awesome. anything I could do after <laughs> years of practice. But then, you know, but also when it comes to like, say, lyrics, that's like my thing gotcha. for the most part. So anyway, we've got like a really good um, yin-yang thing going and, and, um, and you know, we're friends. We, we get along really well and we've been lucky to have really good musicians and good people in the band with us over the years. So, um, you know, our current situation, we've got a guy who's been with us for about four years now on drums. Because uh, Ringo, our old drummer that was with us for 21 years, um, had a kid and oh. uh, decided they needed to move to somewhere a bit cheaper than Vancouver. So um, that was tough because he played on the first four albums. Oh, okay. And he toured to Europe with us and played at the Cavern with us and toured to L.A. Oh, I mean, like he was part of the three of us. <laughs> Steve and Ringo and I were kind of the, the essence of the band for over 20 years. But then when he had to go... Steve and I kind of went, okay, like who's the one guy that we know that might fill, you know, this gap perfectly. And this guy, Adrian, who had played in another band that we had done tons of gigs with and toured with, um, who had broken up a few years before, uh, we just were like, oh, that's a guy. That's, that's the <laughs> guy. And then it, and it turns out, we didn't even know this at the time that over the last few years, he'd been really honing his engineering skills. So when COVID oh. hit, we didn't have to sort of sit there on this like long wait uh you know we had done our drum beds for game day uh, most of them just before the the pandemic and then we were able to do all these like overdubs just you know sending files type thing at, right sending yeah. files or just like adrian and me at his house you that's know insane. or what you know it was like this it's really, really cool to see that involvement like i have a home studio set up that's how i do most of my tracks and i'm learning every day like they're at the beginning my tracks are very sound like i recorded them on a phone which is funny now because the phone recordings are pretty awesome like you don't have to worry about it sounding like crap but it's better in studio of course with microphones sure. you know so then i started sitting down and i learned how to use cakewalk and stuff and i started getting good at engineering and i still have my guys that i you know send stuff to and all that but it was just really fun that like i didn't have to you know, people started understanding what I was doing, thought I was crazy. Like, you don't go to a studio. Oh, when COVID hit, they're like, ah, we see why. And it's like, yeah, I totally knew, of course. But no, <laughs> it's just it's something that it's nice to have that um, being able to still work and still progress further within a recording from home. It's kind of cool. Without having to spend well, the yeah, studio. It, it was it was really a godsend because, you mm -hmm. know, if we didn't have that, you know, I don't know what we would have done, but, you know, 
as it turned out, um, you know, I, I came to realize fairly quickly that Steve also um, is has a setup at home where he can do some demo yeah. work and he can send files and and our bass player. So we switched bass players uh, during the beginning of the recording for game day. We'd had a fellow with us for about nine years, and um, during the game day sessions, uh, we switched back to my brother. So again, full circle to uh, oh. you know people that I grew up with that were came back in, and my brother lives in Portland, Oregon. But uh, again, because of file sharing, um, it, it wasn't difficult. And especially because it wasn't like playing live wasn't even part of the equation for better part of two years. It didn't even matter. It was like, okay, so Adam will send some files. You know, he'll play some bass lines and vocal stuff and he'll send us files. There you go. We'll do some stuff at Adrian's house and Steve will send the odd thing. And we, you know, we were able to make it, make it happen. And we used the videos as a way to sort of supplant the live music thing. You know, and luckily, again, Steve has a good eye for that whole sort of technical and artwork thing. And uh, we put together a bunch of videos that helped sort of, you know, elongate the uh, promotion for the album. Which I was, really enjoyed you know, watching some yeah. of the videos that you sent me uh, back when they were first coming out, uh, even before we had game day on our RoboJack uh, Sandwich Shop Jams compilation. Um, it was really cool to see the video for that. And the video for Green Eyes was very awesome as well. I remember you sent that to me right when the song came out and I was like, these are really cool. That's cool that it's somebody in the band too. That's really cool. Yeah. We actually did six of them for the album. Wow. Green Eyes was the, Green Eyes is the last one and oh. Game Day was the second one, but there was actually like four others. So feel free to jump onto YouTube. I'll, be, uh, I'll, I'll put a link down below. Yeah. There you go. Channel. Guys plug, <laughs> plug. Hey, no promotions. Not, not allowed here. We, we self promote 24 seven. I don't care what people say. Self promotion is the best promotion. Because it's coming from the self. Who else is, is going to do it for <laughs> yeah, right? us if we don't, right? Well, I mean, I mean, hey, I could help out. No. <laughs> but I know yes. what you're saying. I, I know what you're oh, saying. Yeah, of course, of course. No, no, I, I got you. No, I'm just messing. Uh, no, the best, I always remember a story when I met Dennis Dunaway of uh, Alice Cooper Band, the bass player. Oh, no, did you? I have him. Oh, he signed my jacket. I'll have to send you a picture. Bastard. So I met oh, Dennis Dunaway. Oh, you're going to love this. Oh. I met Dennis Dunaway twice. Uh, uh, you know, I'll share the story here. What's what this podcast is casual. I don't, I don't feel like i'm taking over here but anyway i'll tell you the story because i think you'll enjoy this uh, but if it goes on too long i will cut this out but i think i'm gonna leave it in uh so i met dennis dunaway at an alice cooper show we were outside i was talking to ryan roxy first and then all of a sudden this older gentleman walks out and i'm like that's dennis dunaway <laughs> so i went dennis was very polite very awesome to talk to and there was a festival i was going to the next day for the reliving of a new york bar called the fore and aft and I'm friends with Rick Tedesco. He played on stage with Alice Cooper. He's the Hall of Fame guy that played on stage with them when they got inducted. And Rick Tedesco runs a store here in Connecticut. And so I go there once in a while to say, hi, we're, we're actually pretty close. I talked to him here and there. He was on my show, too. And so it was just all coming together. And then all of a sudden at that show was Neil Smith, uh, the drummer. Yeah. So he wasn't really, uh, you know, he was just signed some autographs and it was really fun to talk to him. That was the first festival. Then they did a second one. And it was Dennis, Michael Bruce, and no Neil way. Smith. And uh, you Michael met Michael Bruce. Too. Yeah, I have Michael Bruce's book signed, and I also have my jacket. I have a jean jacket that's signed by Dennis and uh, Michael on my uh, the pockets on the front of it. So Man, I, I wear it out book. too. I'm not afraid. Book. I'm not afraid. But it's like I do. Ten some days I'm oh. like I should just hang that up, preserve it. Yeah, man. I I, I read that Michael Bruce book. And oh, it's I, phenomenal. I, you know, I've actually mentioned in a bunch of the interviews before mm -hmm. this one, um, like people will often ask me about, you know, different other musical influences. And aside from 
the mod thing and the jam thing, which was a big part of it, the original Alice Cooper group would have been like the first inspiration for me that, oh, that sort of took me away from pop music. It was it's insane. something they different kind of too, without a doubt. Band. But it, it relates to that self promotion. Oh, Michael, his album too with the um the the cover with like the red and the guitar string type thing. I forget what album that is. Rock and roll something, uh, I think. Good album. Uh, yeah, but it's one of his remember, solo releases. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I love I, it. I've only heard one of his solo releases, but in terms of the yeah. stuff he wrote with the Alice Cooper, oh, yeah. I always oh, felt yeah. he didn't get enough uh, enough props. So and Stephen really, Dennis's I'm stuff like Black Juju it was awesome too. Yeah, Black Juju, man. I used to make out to, with girls in the basement. <laughs> Hell yeah! It's, but it's it was funny. Long enough, you could put the put the needle on the vinyl, and then you got. You don't like have to worry about flipping it. Yeah, you don't have to worry about flipping it. Got nine minutes. It was funny because I wore my band's T-shirt, which is funny that we are talking on this day because on Sunday we're finally they moved to Massachusetts, so they're you know only a state away. But we haven't played in like a half a year together, and the last gig we did was like we knew it was going to be our last. Well, I'm booking a show, and I said to the guys, "Are you guys down to like come up once a month?" And they're like, "Yes, please book the gig for us." So we did. We have a big gig coming up. It's the first Robo Jack Fest, so we're doing it. We're we're the closer. And uh, what's really exciting about it is that when I was wearing that shirt, the St. Right shirt, Dennis, I said to Dennis, oh, I should have wore a Zappa shirt. He goes, no. He goes, you got to promote yourself. Nobody else is going to do it. And he meant that in like the nicest way. And it was there like, that's go. why I was like, I was, that was funny to me. That's why I brought up the story. Because it was yeah, like, ah. Well, I, I can't say that I've met any of them, which would be like a, yeah, a real <laughs> moment for me. But but we did meet the jam. Ooh, Paul we Weller. Yeah, and ah. all of them. It was on their very last North American date before they broke up. They played in Vancouver, and our mod band flew from Edmonton to Vancouver, booked a hotel. None of us were old enough to even book a hotel, but we somehow <laughs> were able to figure it in. Snuck some of the guys in, like with oh, one of our awesome. roadies, and oh, wow. and we went to the show. And they let us in to the sound check, and we got a bunch of autographs. And they let us in after the show to <clears> talk <throat> to them in their dressing room and. I, I was, in fact, on our video, we were talking about videos, on our video for the silent type, I'm actually wearing my jam t-shirt that's autographed by all the bands, so you can check that out. Oh, I'll have to, I'll have to definitely look at that. Well, one of our fa yeah. one of our family record, Robo Jack, you know, the little group that we have, the private group for all of us, um, one of the members mm -hmm. is Edward Rogers. Edward's worked with Paul a little bit, too. So that's, oh, why, that's how cool. I know. I know a little bit about the jam because uh, Edward, when I interviewed Edward on our old show, Jeb and Greencast, which, hey, guys, fans of the Jeb and Greencast, cool news. We're going to be bringing those shows over here. We're going to reissue some of the bigger ones like Paul Chastain and stuff like people that we we interviewed were like, wow, they belong on this channel, you know. So but it was one of the biggest ones that we did recently before the big name switch was Edward Rogers. And it was just so much fun to talk with him. And then he brought up the jam and I really didn't know them. So then I started like getting into them and I bought a CD and I'm like, Oh my God, they're phenomenal. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you know, they're, I overused they're... the word there, but it's true. They are, they are something no, special. You're not over. No, you're not over. I hope it not. No, context, not in that case. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love them. Group in the jam, you're allowed to use phenomenal on the awesome. with me. Any well, it's like I used to use the word awesome way too much in interview, but it's just like, what else do you say when things are so amazing that there's like no words? You're like, I'm just gonna mumber yeah. awesome or phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't yeah. usually call people geniuses in music, I usually keep that to Frank Zappa and stuff like that. But there's albums that I hear and I don't overuse it, and I'm like, yeah, no, this person's a genius. So it's like, yeah, you know, well, there's well, just certain things. Oh yeah. yeah, Weller's definitely uh, one of my all-time favorites. Oh, he's so. amazing, and it's just uh, you know something I've gotten so excited about learning about them. And it's fun that like you know I'm a big music buff myself, 
but mostly like, you know, older rock and I'm young. So I like, I have enough time to really explore a lot, which is awesome. And it's just been lately, like finding all these newer bands that have the older sound is what I'm a sucker for because it's Mm -hmm. something that they're carrying what I love and that I respect, but they're newer and I could follow their career right from the beginning or, you know, come in where they're only like four or five albums in. And I can enjoy Only it. four or five albums in. <laughs> and then, then they start popping like eight or never, nine. A lot of bands never get to four or five albums. Not even one album. It's all yeah. singles and EPs uh, nowadays. Or, or not even that. It's just yeah. one single. Uh, you know, lately I've been like digging this Atlanta, Georgia band, Ugly, Ugly Smile. And I play them on the show all the time. And they do long songs, like eight minutes. The albums are okay. long. I'm like, oh. Are you guys signed or self-releasing? I know uh, you have like a record label name, but I believe we talked about that. But I'd love for you to share it here. Uh, is that yeah, your own no, we, label? It's our own it's our own label Uh, steve and i started back uh, i think the first album we did um in our pre star collector band was on a was on a small indie label and then our next album after that we put out on our own label and we called Hmm. it clockwise um and uh we've just since released them on that uh ever since so i guess uh you know that that album plus the five star collector albums are kind of like the only releases on it but um yeah, it, we're, like we're it. pretty major respect. It that way. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what uh, Robo Jack was for the longest time. You know, we we toyed around with the idea of looking at some other labels, but we just found that um, for the most part, we were able to do kind of what we wanted to do when we wanted to do it. Yeah, um, and if if you don't need the the extra help and you're doing it yourself, there's no reason to. You know, there's yeah, no if you if you're so. making it work. Yeah, have, you know, I got so. lots of respect for for you know. There's some really cool labels yeah. out there, like you mentioned, Big Stir and Future Man and red on red oh, those are all and, great those uh, are all are you know full props to all of them i just at this point for us i just think like you know between the people in the band we kind of have a lot of those arms covered and yeah i mean yeah. There's, there's something to be said that uh probably people that they could reach that that we don't but um yeah as as we as we're going along right now we'll see you know never yeah. say never but no, we, exactly. we're pretty happy too, with yeah. the way things logically and if you could do everything on your own it's it's great and you guys have i've seen you guys on so many stations and it's like oh you guys are awesome <laughs> you have all the you know what you're doing uh-huh. and you have those connections and i think the radio host that we have so much support from all of us i think because we've we've definitely been on some of the same stations on the airwaves and knowing these hosts and it's just for sure these indie radio stations host, you know, Radio Indie Alliance, Mark Platt, shout mm-hmm. out. Mark is awesome. It's exciting when your your own stuff charts, and I'm sure you felt it too when Star Collector is charted, and you're like, oh, this is amazing. It's so great to see the power of, like, people that we know charting as well, and it's like, ah. Oh. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great scene that um, until we put Game Day out, uh, you know, it, it had been quite a few years since our mm-hmm. previous record, 100 Bulletproof, so a lot changed in that time. Um, so and the it was sound a bit of a for new... you guys changed in a in, in a small direction. Oh, you know, I've noticed. Hope you enjoy the podcast. We're gonna get into the song section. Every time I mention the song, I want to play the song first, and then we'll let Vic talk after the song plays. So hopefully, you enjoy. I haven't done this in a while for the podcast. Usually, just do this for the radio show. We're gonna do step things up here at Unlikely Places Pop and Rock Radio Podcast. All right, let's get right back to the show, and we'll get uh, into I'm the songs now. Too. So we'll get right into mm-hmm. it. So we're gonna start off with uh, with game days.
that song about tell us a little story behind it and some of the processes behind it and we'll do that for each of the songs but what, let's talk about game day sure well game day is is the 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 first song and the name of the album for mm. a reason um the first two-thirds of that of the album are, uh, i often talk say they're like a song cycle uh, i suppose in the old days they might have said it was sort of a concept <laughs> album but um some very serious stuff went on in my, in my life and my family's life a few years ago. And, um, and you know, I, we, we had, when the band got back to sort of playing gigs, we weren't really writing. Um, I, I wasn't really doing much writing for a few years. We were just playing gigs and having fun. And when this stuff came down, uh, it kind of immediately, um, you know, there was a certain catharsis for me about writing about it. And, um, you know, it is a power pop album. There's no question, you know, and maybe, you know, we tend towards the, the rockier side of power pop, you know, the mm-hmm. who and the jam side of it more so than, you know, the, the, the more poppy kind of stuff. <clears throat> but, but the song, so the songs are pretty fucking serious. Mm. Um, you know, with, with the possible exception of cayenne and caramel, which isn't part of the cycle, pretty much everything on the album's, <laughs> got a pretty serious note to it and the song cycle that game day is starts and that is is um is definitely part of it and it's really a song about about the weight of expectations i suppose if you want to encapsulate it it's about you know it's about mental health it's about um some of the darker 
things that can go along with that. I, you know, it's one of those things where I, there's a, there's a phrase, which is, it's not my story to tell. And I have to always walk a fairly, I get asked about this a lot. And it's a very, it's a really hard tightrope to walk to not seem evasive, but to also not give up any sort of specifics or, you know, confidential mm -hmm. kind of information. So the best I can do is to say that it's some pretty heavy stuff that, that uh, we went through. Uh, but it's really, that song is about the weight of expectation. And it actually, it's actually from two voices. Um, huh. One of the voices is the voice of the narrator. And the other voice that happens a little later is me. And uh, there's one, there's one section in there that kind of probably you know, would, would give away the, the weight of the emotion of the song, which is there's a breakdown at the end where I sing, um, it's game day and I've got to be strong. Game day splayed out on the lawn. It's May day and the siren song. Now there ain't no losing at all. And that's really... That's really how I was feeling. And that part, that part's from my perspective and the rest song of the song is actually from the perspective of the narrator of, um, yeah. of it. So it's a little deeper than, than your average power pop. It's not a lot of, I don't write yeah. a lot of boy, girl, love you, love me kind of stuff. And I have no problem with people that do there's, uh, you know, live and let live is always my thing when it comes to music. I love a lot of pop songs that are just straight up pop songs. Mm -hmm. I just don't find that I write them too often. Um, I don't know. I've got a background in English and, and all that stuff. And I like them and I've always loved Paul Weller and John Lennon and Pete Townsend and the way they approach lyrics. Yeah. Especially so, the storytelling and everything. It's like, Oh yeah. And, and exploring, the exploring, there's a character. Yeah. Or exploring the darker side of human nature. It's mm. not always just about, you know, you know, or I mentioned echo and the Bunnyman or Julian Cope. Like there's a lot of artists that I, um, you know, that, that tend towards that side of sort of introspection and, for some reason, that's my comfort zone. Even though a lot of the songs are, aren't terribly comfortable, be probably a lot more comfortable to write the boy girl songs. But um, but that's where I like to reside when it comes. And to, I have to major respect for folks that are making it happen like that. Like for you guys, like for, especially for your writing, I really, really, really admire it. Um, and that's from you. When we first talked, it was like I didn't really have all the songs. Then when we talk, you're like, here, I'm gonna send you these two, and then you know. I'll get the rest for you and i started really listening because at least with Bandcamp, you just stream it and i was like wow there's some really powerhouse lyrics here hidden beneath those like themes like you're mentioning and it's just something that i'm very heavily inspired by being bands like the pretty things the who stuff like that and that's why i sent you the pretty things i was like you got to hear at least yeah, a couple which, songs yeah, yeah you know what i actually listened to the first four or five songs of that when i was driving the other day yeah. and i loved it it was really cool. parachute might be there. more up your alley as well with like loving the jam type because it's more 70s sounding sure and i know the jam sure, is more leans towards yeah. that sound um but all their albums there's uh you know the ones that wally and john are on who i've interviewed before so a nice little plug there but <laughs> um they're they're on the earlier stuff and uh sf sorrow and uh parachute are my top two favorites and uh sf sorrow is something i used to she says good morning there's a clip online with david gilmore playing with them uh doing that song That's i'll send cool. that to you if i remember uh, cause that, that's a really fun one. And I, so I asked Wally about it and he brought up like, yeah, I knew Gilmore since he was a little kid. I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> like that's, you just think, you know, just, and, and probably Gilmore looked up to him, you know? 
Yeah, so it's, well, it's really cool to hear said, stuff like that. That is pretty cool, but yeah. yeah so that's kind of that's kind of where that that goes. And you know, the, the thing that I find with music is, to be honest and to be fair, I know that most people don't actually put as much stake in lyrics that maybe you do or I do, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Um, yeah, it's so whatever works. That, that's the other aim of the the band is to actually write music that's that people want to listen to musically. Because you know, I was reading something someone had done a post the other day, which I thought was true. They said like. Would you listen to a song that you thought had great lyrics, but the music you didn't like very much? Or would you listen to a song that you really liked the music, but you didn't care for the lyrics? And almost everybody chose the latter. Yeah. So it really, for listeners, it's really about the music and the melody and the lyrics might be an extra little, you know, cherry on top, but I'm aware of that. And, and that's fine. And that's so what that, I struggle you, with that too. Like it's something, cause I write very heavy lyrics. I take songs right. like I'll vent, I'll do a vent sesh. Cause like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you, I talked to you the other day. I've had a reason why we didn't talk yesterday is I had a really wicked bad, just a bad, it was a crash. It was one of those, it happens once a month for me because I work so hard and don't know how to take breaks. So it just happens all at once. And then finally my body's like, you need to take a break. So you're going to go into depression mode and it's, it's mm-hmm. terrible, but I write my best songs in that mode. Um, and one of my songs isolated do has a, it's very lyrical heavy, but there's references to clat two and the posies and all that. But the thing is the song itself is very, it's four chords with a little bit of a bridge in there, but the melody works so well, but the thing is it's so lyric heavy, but it made radio and it worked. So that was like, but there's no formula to making radio. It's just whatever you, you just got to do what you, you do and then make it happen. But I've noticed that's a good, that's a good pull. That's a really good pull to ask people because I know that too. So like my next album is going to be a little more, I know less lyricy, but still hidden themes. Like I recently wrote a song that was flat out. I wanted to write something that was right on nose to how I was feeling. It just, you know, drops names and stuff, but I'm never going to release it. What I'm going to do is take those lyrics drop back and make it as vague as possible but mm-hmm. the motions and the feeling are there so people are going to feel it um yeah you know that's that, that yeah. it really just it's finding that balance it's a craft you know, it's like, like a puzzle <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's like finding the balance between making music that people like the musical side of and then hopefully they might jump on board the lyrical train too and if they don't i mean we've had reviews on game day where mm-hmm. people have missed missed the 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 dark side of it altogether uh, and yet still really liked it because they just sort of enjoyed the music or they enjoyed the guitar playing or they enjoyed the melodies. Yes, yeah, the, the classic seeing the same film, but two I, people walk out of a film with two different expect- yeah. two different imaginations or hey, two right. different expectations. There you go. Uh, but it's you know, totally yeah. fine. Like I, I got no cool. problem with that. I just uh, you know, so so anyway, that's game day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a great song for night. That's like the first. I think well, the first song I heard from you was Super Zero Blues, which we're coming up to after the next one here. Um, and I, I'll go right into the oh, next the one. Thing, sorry, oh, the go ahead. No, we'll go ahead. Go ahead. Is that uh, you know basically the way that we write songs for the most part, other than the first album, is either I write them or I write them with Steve. Oh. And. A lot of the the pretty much the the song cycle that I referred to before was all stuff that I wrote, except for Game Day, which Steve and I wrote together. And we actually wrote it together in a, it very quickly. And it was we were we were doing a tour. We were in Seattle, short tour, and we were staying at a friend's house. And we had some time in the afternoon before the show. And I had the chorus of Game Day, and um, Steve had some other one of the riffs for it. I can't remember which one. The verse riff, I think. And he had sent me a bunch of music and I heard the verse riff and I thought, oh, that might work with my chorus. We just got to sit down and do it. So we just kind of sat there knee to knee like the old Leonard and McCartney thing on her, on her couch and just hacked through it. And literally within like two hours, we had 95% of this. Oh, wow. So, 
so it was pretty cool. So that's, you know, that's the other thing is that the other ones I wrote fairly, uh, quite a bit in, in isolation, but that one was a, a real co-write with Steve. And, and I really, I like that song an awful lot. So um, it's, it's definitely a, a personal. And it shows. It means a lot it shows. Personally to me, uh, emotionally, but also I, I really just like the song. And that's why it fits as the album name too. I'm I'm thinking as well as a music fan yeah. listener, showing that that's the that's the one that 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 is the title, you know, of the album too, which is perfect. And uh, I picked another one from that album, uh, and then you picked yeah. one after that. So we'll go with the one I picked first, because why not? <laughs> uh, one that we talked in the first part uh, that we did here that uh, doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> we talked about Green Eyes.
I really like the story behind uh, and the mentioning of recording it the first date uh, with it being that it was your your dad's birthday. And mm-hmm. I think I would love to go into that story again with you. So so Green Eyes, uh, tell me about that one. Yeah. So when we did put the the invisible part one, it just happened to be on the day that was the, would have been my dad's birthday. Well, it was my dad's birthday, but he passed away. Um, it'll be 20 years uh, this fall. And it was that was actually would have been his birthday oh, wow. when you and I were talking. So it was quite appropriate when you asked me about Green Eyes, because Green Eyes isn't part of that song cycle. It's just kind of a, you know, a song unto itself. And it's a song that I wrote um, about my dad. Um, he was a, a really sweet, warm, caring, generous, uh, sometimes silly. He loved Monty Python. Hmm. Uh, he was a doctor and uh, he just died way too young. Just had a heart attack one day and oh, wow. and, and passed away. And, and uh, so I have three siblings. One of them is the Adam who plays with us and lives in Portland and had his own musical thing for years too. And then my other brother and sister live down in California and uh, we're all really, really close. And my mom lives close to me here. And, um, and I kind of wrote green eyes, uh, not only as a tribute to my dad, cause he had green eyes and I have green eyes, but also, uh, it was also a song kind of written from my, from my, and my sibling standpoint about him. Uh, so it has a bunch of sort of references that maybe only they would get, but somehow it hasn't seemed to bother people. People seem to like that song and, <laughs> and uh, like the emotion behind it, even if they don't get all the references, but um, yeah, you know, and then when, when we were doing his burial, uh, it was one of those cosmic trippy moments. We were standing around the grave and, and everything was very solemn and it's in a wooded area in West Vancouver and out of the out of the woods a coyote came out and just stood there and watched us for quite some time and we all were just looking at it think and my dad had sort of one of those you know beard and you know thing and it was somehow this coyote just uh, we were kind of looking at each other like geez you know is that dad yeah i I believe that that feeling to it not to get too ethereal no but i understand that. but it did have that feeling and we were all just like whoa so uh, there's a line in the song too, which talks about coyotes turning and sighing. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's, I'll be honest with you. That's one of the other ones. That's the other one. Uh, one of the other ones on the album that Steve and I wrote together. And um, I'll be honest with you on that, on that one. Um, I didn't see that one coming as being as popular as people like that one gets picked a lot by gets played a lot on shows. And um, yeah, we've, we've played it here at unlikely places too. And it, I definitely, I think yeah. it's the ones that you don't expect to be played or the ones that get played. I think that's what it is. I think that's the secret. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's, if there is a secret, well, but I don't know. If I love the, the song. Secret. Yeah. I, I mean, love the I, song. I, I like to think I have a reasonably good handle on stuff. I mean, yeah. rip it off as the <laughs> was the second. And I think those are in my mind, those are, you know, yeah. the two single type songs. I really like super zero blues and silent type as well, but I mean, obviously the whole album means something to me, but, and Green Eyes certainly did mean enough to want to get it on the record. Uh, but I just didn't expect that people would like it as much as they did. I kind of, that's probably why it's buried as, you know, hmm. far into the side too. But yet, yeah, like, like you said, you just never know. And I'm, you know, they're all, all your songs when you're a songwriter, they're all your babies and they all oh, mean yeah. something to you in one way or another. So, um, you know, it's kind of like some of the choices you made from our older albums. I was like, really? Wow, that one, huh? But it, I, I try not to be too influential. You know, there was another show. Let, that, yeah, let them th- think it through, yeah. 
the song that the guy picked from Demo Model would have been the last song that I would have picked out of 12 songs, <laughs> in my opinion. But it's like, hey, that's cool. That's just the one he likes. So let's do it. Yeah, and my song so, of the week next week is Hall of Nothing, or Half of Nothing. Sorry, Half of Nothing. I uh, love that well, song. That one, that one I, I do like an awful yeah. lot. But that's, uh, although it still wouldn't have probably been in my top two or three. <laughs> album, but uh, but, it's, but yeah. that's the beauty of music, right? Everyone it is. It's, a, it's another thing. language. It's above all of a, it's a way of communication that we as humans still don't fully understand. But yet we Absolutely. can grasp and, it. And it's the one really thing cool. about Green Eyes, too, that fits with that is that there is a, a really true emotion that comes out in that mm. song, which I don't think I quite twigged to as it, it, until a bit later. Um, and I think that's also partially why people like that song is that they can feel um, they can feel the, the love in that song and the um, and a bit of mourning as well. So but anyhow, uh, that's so that's Green Eyes. And that's that's what like what draws me to music bands like the Posies, you know, used to be, and uh, John Hour and, and stuff like that. His solo stuff, it just seems to me having raw emotions. It changes how you feel um, with with music, and and you can make the raw emotions work as as much as you guys did, and, and much as you explained, like making it kind of work with the song, and not making the song just all about the emotions, but it still is all about the emotions in a sense, and it's it's very unique, and it's also makes your music you because there's still people that could sound like you like any you know everybody could sound like each other because guitar parts and all that but nobody could actually be you because not everybody lives the same exact story and i think that's what's really yeah, amazing that's about a, music that's very well very yeah. well put well thank very you well put. I, I thought about I that for like 10 seconds <laughs> no you absolutely nailed it yeah. nobody's lived the life that you've lived or no one's lived life even if I've you had similar exposure and i'm young yeah. and i'm still living and i'm still mm -hmm. learning at 22 i've yeah. done such amazing things and i don't mean to like be like this is me and this is but it's it's something that i, I never now you're just bragging now, that you're no this is the point i'm just taking now you're just here. bragging I'm that done. you're 22 yeah i'm 22 kids get off of my lawn i have the power of the internet on my end you know i don't know i don't but i'm such an old soul too like i feel like i'm a lot older people thought it because i had to like shit if i shave like people are like oh my god i see that you're like 22 now but if i don't like all my profile pics are like how's it like being 30 i'm like i'm not but okay it's great uh, but well, uh, you know a lot of people your age don't really listen to this this kind of music too, no so that's probably a, i've that's just probably gotten that's what too. it is yeah i mean i mean again having you know, knowing Badfinger and knowing all these other like older names that people are like, huh? <laughs> it's right. like, really? Right. I struggled in high school. I'll tell you that. Cause like, <laughs> but that's another story for another time. Uh, moving into the song that you picked. Um, okay. Uh, I, I like this one a lot. This is how I met you uh, through this song because uh, we were on the same comp that the ice cream man put on. Um, right. Uh, not, not the ice cream man down the street kids. Uh, this is the ice cream man, <laughs> Wayne, Ford here, Wayne. I can't say his middle name. I'm, I'm Lundfist. Lundfist. All right. Um, Lundfist. Yeah. Uh, he is one of my favorite radio hosts alongside Conrad Callen and Jim Prell and many others that I, I really enjoy being on their shows. But getting put on a comp for the first time made me so excited. That's why we did the Rebel Jack one because it was like, it's a good feeling. It's a great feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, getting put on with some really like minded songs. And you get to see what the radio host likes too, because he has a very eclectic taste amongst the power pop and, and pop and rock. And uh, Super Zero Blues. Something on you, you got 
got something on me We're both in so deep I can't quite believe That what props you up can't take you down That what shows you love can't steal your crown Zero. Zero. 
tell me about that one. So that's uh, that's one of the one of the songs that is part of that uh, song cycle, and it's mm-hmm. um, it's definitely one of the um, you know it's one that sounds a bit darker too. Uh, even though you know maybe songs like Game Day or Rip It Off are a little more up tempo, Super Zero Blues has a more kind of a mid tempo feeling, and it's it's it, this the song is based on the bass guitar more so than anything else. So it's and it's played you know deep and heavy and dark. And the band did a phenomenal job. I, I got to say, I was really, really impressed with, uh, you know, some of the stuff that Steve did and Adrian just played it out uh, just brilliantly at the end. And I had to convince him to play the ending the way it is because he, he's like, oh, man, it's like a drum solo. I don't know if I don't think I'm going to want to do a drum solo. I'm like, this song needs the chaos. So you, we got to do it. We got to do it. And in the end, I think he was happy he did it. But uh, <laughs> um, but that song is also, yeah, like I said, it's part of it. And that one. Um, is more about the shared experience of going through uh, hell that, you know, some, sometimes people, you know, get into different types of groups, you know, where they, they form bonds with other people that know their pain and the, the dark stuff that they've had to go through. And there's mm-hmm. something really deep about that, about understanding something at the same level that someone else goes through like you you know you've mentioned to me before that you know you struggle with mental health sometimes Mm -hmm. well nobody's going to understand you better than someone else that's actually had to go through that hell and 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 i agree full on with that yeah like definitely so that's it's interesting how you could connect with people through that that's kind of what super zero blues is Ah. about it's about it's about the connection with another person or people who understand that level of darkness and so so yeah again without giving away too much but that's really what it is it's about um and it's about looking at the the people in the situation um not necessarily the the people you share it with but the other people involved that and 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 trying to navigate how to get through the next day that's a clever title. Now that I like hear the story behind it, it's like, wow, what a really, because titles are hard for me, you know, in songwriting. Well, it's a play on it's a, superhero. It is definitely a superhero. And, and then the blues is a play on music and also the play on feeling down. Right. And I really like that's, that. Oh, that's very that's clever. Um, no, thank you. Yeah. For thank me, it's you. hard to come up with song titles in our songs. Usually what I do is like, cause I'm a free verser. So like a lot of times I'm just like whatever words spew out. And then I'm like, all right, that sounded like a cool phrase. That's going to be the title, but it's really fun when you could sit down and actually creatively like, mess with the titles and stuff and i love seeing that with your music and especially super zero blues i, I love that now actually hearing the yeah, story that, <laughs> yeah you know that one is definitely um one that i i'm really really happy with the way that uh, it turned out emotionally but also uh, performance wise too uh, yeah. it really does um yeah you know sometimes you record stuff and you're you're going eh, you know i wish we had or if we had only and when I listen to that one, I don't have that feeling. I feel like all the guys really just like, just nailed it. It's a great feeling and, to have too within music yeah. because it's, it's sometimes it's really hard to find that. I don't know that perfect mix. Cause sometimes you're like, I wish there was this, or I don't have the ability for this. So the songs never reached the full potential because I don't have this to have that like inner peace feeling with the song is beyond like, it's like kind of Nirvana it, in a sense. It, it really is. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm like, I said earlier, I'm really blessed with having really great musicians. Cause I'm not a great musician. I mean, my, I put my time into songwriting and I, and I'm just, you know, thrilled that I have other people that are so, 
competent and so um, in tune with the kind of songs that, mm. that I come up with or that Steve and I come up with that they can actually bring to life and, and often even better than I have got in my head. You know, I've got a pretty good idea in my head how I'd like to sound in the end, which is why I end up producing the stuff too. Um, but there's, but there's always surprises where someone comes up, Steve comes up with some guitar bit that I'm like, I never would have thought of that in a million years. And it, and it sounds really and, good. I, and I know that's like, holy yeah. crap, man, just lay it down. It's so good, you know, or, or, you know, so, so that one, yeah. And the thing about that one too, is that, um, you know, you mentioned earlier about having an eight minute song and that song sits at about, I don't know, six and a quarter, mm-hmm. I think. And in the power pop realm, especially where we tend to reside, maybe even more so than, than <laughs> you know your stuff, um, it's not very typical that you're going to have no. songs that get more than four, four and a half minutes. Like in general, that's kind of the the limit. So when you have something that's six and a quarter, um, you could easily see why someone might shy away from it. But um, you know that song. Well, that's got, what I liked about Badfinger. They had like two, three and... minute songs on the albums, but their live stuffs like they took Suitcase, a three to four minute song on uh, Straight Up, and made it into this like twelve minute jam uh, live. Mm. And that's just something that like power pop and they're power pop to the max. I mean they're mm-hmm. one of the definitive bands, and I relate to that in a sense because yeah, people seem to shy away from the six minutes. I'm over here like give me more <laughs> because you know I'm, what? I'm Wait, an alternative kind of guy. This is how I feel about it, Jeremy. This is how I feel about it when I'm listening to other people's music, um, not just our own. Yeah. If it keeps me interested and involved, I don't give a shit how long how long. Exactly, yeah. I love a good two-minute straight-to-the-point pop song, and I can easily listen to a six- or seven-minute song if it holds my attention. And, you know... And I'm not claiming that Super Zero Blues or some of our other stuff is going to do that for someone else, but in my mind, it's pretty fully realized in the way it is exactly as it should be at six minutes and 14 seconds or whatever the hell it is. So if people, you know, get bored of it, fair enough. But to me, it it actually, it hits the nail on, on the head, the way that I, and it doesn't feel some songs feel like the actual length that they are. There's some songs that drag on. You're like, when is this over? I mean, I could hit the skip button, but when is it over? You know, type thing. Then there's other songs, including Super Zero Blues, that you don't even realize the time just passed because you're so involved in the universe that the song is creating. I mean, in my mind, I visualize things very easily, like a 3D scape. And when I hear certain songs that just hit, I have to close my eyes and like throw headphones on. That's just how I am. And I get into this like realm of it's not like a visual thing but it feels like it's another planet i guess i don't know it's kind of out there spacey talk here but it feels like you're in your own sound room and you're Mm -hmm. able to kind of visualize parts i see colors with sounds like that's how i i've been that way since like i was in band class when i was younger and like they brought Mm -hmm. it up as like an actual thing like you could see colors Mm -hmm. with notes i can actually there's a name for that i can't remember what it is i know i'm trying to figure out one one art to another or thing but yeah yeah i I can't draw for i can't paint but it's just like i can see colors it's hilarious um but i can in my mind i can bend sounds and now i find out how to use reverb and i have like now in heaven because reverb Mm -hmm. if not overused can be used as a placer in that 3d realm and it's so much fun 
And uh, I mean, I just recorded a song today and I was like messing around with the 3D realm effect of like, all right, I'm going to put the vocals at zero, but the wet down to like, you know, negative 0.4, move the backing vocals to negative two, you know, keep moving back until like all the places are in part. And then it's like I had an electric guitar solo that usually guitar solos are in the front, but I'm like, I'm going for the pretty things effect of having that electric leads in the back. And in the acoustic mm-hmm. in the front with slide and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, mm-hmm. I, I always mess around with instruments too. I'm a, I'm a kind of a Zappa freak with that kind of stuff. Like I took a, my old class ring. Uh, kids don't do this at home. Uh, I took my old class ring and mm-hmm. used that as a slide because it had a unique <laughs> sound that slides don't have because I'm using sure. a ring, not a slide. Sure. And yeah. it just came out with this. And I only did it, you know, I don't overdo it. It's just in the layered in the background. I'll send you this after uh, we're done today. I'll send you the, the little MP3 demo. It's not anywhere near done, but uh, I still have to do the automation stuff where you level out the sounds and everything, but uh, learning as I go. But it's just like something to hear from other folks. And especially I think connecting with you is very important in my musical journey as well. Because um, oh. I found somebody that I can relate to. I don't find that very often. Usually I'm talking to somebody who's a wicked, really wicked good guitarist or really, I found somebody that I could talk to like about songwriting because that's what I do. I'm not a, I don't see myself as a great guitarist. I'm a great front man because I put on a show, but I'm also not the greatest singer, but I'm a great, again, a great front man that puts on a good show and a very good writer. And I don't mean to talk highly of myself. I just, I see that. I see that, that that's my talent. And it's nice to hear from somebody else that feels like that about themselves and says, you know, I'm not, you know, but it matters to the whole band, the whole picture. And it is a great chemistry feeling when the band works with you and surprises you immensely. And I love hearing that. Yeah. You know, there's a certain um, thing that comes with um, playing together for a long mm-hmm. time. There's a certain trust and a certain comfort level that comes where people can be more open about things that doesn't usually exist when people start playing together. It takes a while to build it. And Steve and I have played together for so long that there's a lot of just intuitive things, but we're also at a, at a point where, you know, we can actually say to each other, yeah, that's just not working or, you know, I think and there's that, no offense taken. It's just exactly, natural part of the exactly. progress is right. I, I learned that hard thing. growing up. That sometimes when yeah. somebody says, hey, that's not working, they're not trying to disrespect you. They're saying, like, we got to try something different. And right. it, it's, it's it's a learning process. And especially if, you know, there's two, should I say the word band dicks in the band, it does sometimes there's a lot mm-hmm. of comp, you know, a lot of butting of heads. But sometimes mm-hmm. you could actually make some really beautiful music that way because you got two powerhouses, you know. Um, but it's just like in different stories, sometimes it works for those people, you know, and in some other stories, it's like the one guy leads and everybody follows, but they're okay with it. So the band works out that way. And it's so unique to see like, you know, a powerhouse band where all four members are all, you know, on, I don't know if I've ever seen that, but I'm waiting for that day. The rare bit, the golden band where all four members mm-hmm. are full on in their own direction, their own way. And somehow they make it work. Well, Slo- Sloan actually is, is I gotta, yeah, I gotta really get into them. Cause I feel like I, I, I know about them, but I don't know enough. The Sloan podcast, I think follows us um and yeah they're they cool. all they're all writers they're all singers that's and, awesome uh, well teenage fan club was like that too actually never yeah, mind teenage fan club is like that goldenish kind of they i i believe all of them did but not all of them were like as much of a powerhouse i know in the early stuff they uh we interviewed brendan o'hare and he explained a little bit on that himself they all kind of took turns but it was like I don't think like Sloan. I know Sloan is a powerhouse. I know for a fact. Well, from what I've I, heard, I, all I'm saying is that they all sing and they all mm. write, and yeah. uh, and they treat it as a democracy. Even though you know, I have opinions as to which guys are stronger writers and stronger yeah, singers, but yeah. but they treat it as a democracy, That's and it cool. does seem and it's worked for them for thirty years. There we go. But, then there's the golden. But, there's the, I'm gonna have to study them because go. I like I like there that. Yeah, it gives me a band to yeah. study over the uh, next there coming. Hey, when I'm bored, I'll just be like, all right, now I know what I need to do. 
Oh, that's right. But, so I just I'm going to finish yeah. on Super. Oh Zero, yeah, sorry, but, I'm totally but, out. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say too that I do want to point out is that we were talking about videos, and that's another one that we mm-hmm. did, we did a video for, and and um and I thought Steve did an amazing job on that one too. We um you know I I kind of came up with some of the settings and you know and he scouted out some other settings too, but um it was all based around the phrase which kind of ties into the lyrical theme we talked about before, which is lost in the wilderness, and I really wanted it to have this feeling of of desolation and loss in the wilderness and sort of that black and white kind of grainy feel. And, um, and Steve did a great job. So yeah, I don't know if you've seen that video either too, but uh, they're all on the YouTube. Thing. I'll be so, checking them out. Anyway. And I'll link them down below for everybody that's listening to this podcast. Once it's on YouTube, you'll be easily just down in the description uh, when we put it out on YouTube, but on anchor, I think when you click on it, they put it in like a little box, but I don't know if anybody actually checks those. I know on uh, when our podcast goes to uh cast box and like pocket, cast or whatever all these other names are you can read the description right there so i'll link all this stuff below for you guys cool and throw it in there and then sure. i got uh the next one here mm-hmm. which is That's song cool. of the week uh next week next tuesday nice. uh, half of nothing
What, what was that one about? Hmm. Okay, so now we're, we're going way back in the time machine. Half of Nothing's from the very first Star Collector record, and that's one of the ones that I wrote and, and uh, recorded with Dave. And Ringo was, is on it on drums. Mm-hmm. And, um, and oh, and, and in fact, the keyboard player that played on a couple Game Day songs and played in Steve and my band pre-Star Collector plays organ on that song too, funnily enough. Oh. I think about it. Reese. But that was... Um, so half and nothing is interesting to me for a few reasons, but one of them that comes to mind is that in the time between the pre-Star Collector band, Dear God, before that, after that band ended and before Star Collector started, I went through the one time in my life where I wasn't, I was kind of having, I don't know, I'll call it writer's block, but it was as much that I just didn't feel um, motivated to write. And it was the first time I'd been without a band for like, 10 years in my life and I just and it's often when as a writer at least for me if I didn't have people to make sort of bring the song alive as an arrangement after writing it it it, it's harder to get the same motivation to write now it wasn't that way with the game day songs because I had some life things that were going on that I had to write about but during this period of time I, I didn't actually write a ton of stuff in fact, I wrote very little. I think I wrote one song and then a, and a bit of music. And the bit of music is the verses for Half of Nothing. And when Dave and I started writing together, this is kind of like the game day story that I told you about me and Steve mm. having pieces that fit together. I played the verses for Half of Nothing to Dave. And he said, oh, I've got a chorus that'll go with that. And he immediately played it. And it is exactly the music and melody of the chorus of that song. And then I just wrote the words to go along with the um, with the melody and the chord, the chord progression that he had for the chorus. So it was a real, that was definitely one of those combined effort songs um, where it wouldn't exist if two people hadn't been part of the writing. It's yeah. the same way as game day with, with, with Steve. So, yeah. um, so Half and Nothing was a real co-write with Dave and, and uh, he sings the harmony on it and plays the solo and, I play like acoustic and rhythm and Ringo plays the drums and this guy, uh, Rob, um, who was our first, first bass player on the first album Ooh. plays on it. And, and, uh, yeah, it's just one of those songs about, uh, it's kind of like a, a song on the dark side of the end of a relationship, which is pretty much what this title is. Yeah. Uh, half enough. You know, I, like I think, that. I think Very in creative. the bridge, I, I use the line when you, when you've got half of nothing, when that's all there is, anything is something. Ooh. And I and I think that's really kind of what the gist of the song is that when you're half of nothing, it's you know like means like there's no more relationship to be half of anymore. So um, yeah, and I quite like uh, I've always liked the lyrics to that song and and I like the melody to it. Uh, that's so one of the ones I was for me quite that... flattered. I, I was really glad yeah. that it jumped out at you. It's uh, you it's know, something it's that hit me. I was just... minor key and yeah, it's something that. that hit me because it reminded me of uh, early posies. So of course, I'm big into that the sound there from Dear Twenty Three. Uh, that and then a little bit of frosting, like the sound wise, and it's mm-hmm. just is something that hit me hit that hit real hard because it reminded me of that stuff. You know, there's always people personal things that you know songs can hit hard for personal reasons, and it's just really cool to hear that from folks. And I I don't know what I was listening to, like I had another song in in mind for song of the week from that album, and I believe it Slow was uh, you know um, I think I mentioned Probably it to you as well. Slow fade. Yeah, it was slow fade. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I, because I mentioned, remember, I texted you immediately. I was like, "This is it. This yes, is it." And then all of a sudden, like a couple like minutes later, I think I was right into it again. And I was like, "No, no, 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 no. It's half of nothing now." Um, and just like something, yeah, you know, a lot of your of songs are hitting me. Sure. 
Yeah, a oh, lot of your songs are really hitting. Um, and they're and you know, there's times like my dad and I are on the same music page. You know, there's certain bands like he doesn't like Sparks. And, you know, so I, like I have weird stuff that I like, of course. But uh, there's certain things like when it comes to this genre, we're very much on the same page. It's like Matthew Sweet stuff like that. And so anything that has that rock power pop vibe, we're in on it. So when I show, I said I gotta show my dad this stuff. He was immediately stopped doing what he was doing and like just listened. And he was like, "This is amazing." And I was like, "Yeah, I was. Like, I'll be getting the CD soon for us." So. And it was just something that I just like, you know, and half of nothing is something that called out to me. And then the next song I have on the list was my second one that called out from the next album up here, uh, Black Eyed Soul mm-hmm. here, uh, yeah. New Devotion. i 
Uh, that's also going to be played uh, next week as well. Um, wow. Okay. So, yeah. so this one is the, uh, that's, yeah, that's on the second album. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, uh, that's another one that Steve and I wrote together. And um Geez, what can I say about new devotion? I don't think I've ever been asked about that. Oh, there you go. I got one. I got um, one. (laughs) uh, Yeah. And again, you know, like that, it was a bit of a surprise to me because if you would have asked me for, you know, what are the first, you know, three or four songs on this album you'd suggest, that probably wouldn't have been one of them. But, you know, that's what's so cool about music is that's the one that hit you. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to me that these songs are getting a chance to get heard because, you know, um, so new devotion is kind of about it was it was written more of as a sort of a story fictional idea of of a two young people that were in sync and a couple when they were younger and then just how they grew apart in their in different ways like maybe it's spiritually or intellectually or sexually or whatever but they both kind of just went in very opposite directions to the point where they can't see eye to eye in any way anymore they're just totally opposite ends of the spectrum kind of people but when they look back to when they were younger um they were in full sync so it's i guess it's kind of about yeah it's about growing up and and what happens sometimes to relationships is is really what new devotion is about i love that song too because again that was that was up there too and you know and i see a difference in the sound between the first and the second album too as well there's a different you know well it's not a lot drastically of different, different but exactly well, I mean, now it makes sense yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah the first album was yeah. basically me, me dave and ringo and this bass player rob and then the second album was me me and ringo as well but it was steve and a different bass player so um a lot changed and, and yeah. the writing changed too because on the first album I wrote most of it with Dave and on the second album I wrote a good chunk of it with Steve. So there's going to be differences there for sure. And and I believe for the last song I picked here we move up two albums um which is a song I picked from this one uh, Beautiful Noise. It's hard to stand with those jelly knees 
song as well okay well that's uh that's funny you should say that because right now we're navigating a two bass player situation because <laughs> my brother adam who uh you know has been recording with us but he lives far away and he can only come up as often as you know not not that often so he does some recording for us and uh, but in the last little bit we um we added a new fellow from vancouver here named tony 
And um, Tony used to play with Adrian, our drummer, in a band a while ago, and we did shows with them. Like, this is going back like 15 plus years. So I kind of knew him a little bit, but um, I had no idea just how damn good he was until he came out and came to, I think he came to his first rehearsal. And usually when you get guys to come out and play with you, you give them like four or five songs and you say, you know, if you just, you know, you hope they can do their best to muddle yeah. their way through. He'd learned like 20 freaking songs and he'd learned them note for note from the, all the, all different albums, like all these different bass players and Whoa. all these. And he, it was just mind boggling. I'd never seen anything like <laughs> it. So, I mean, he's, he's only played with us for a few months and we've been focusing on new stuff, but he already knows like 30 songs of ours. It's just, wow. yeah, it's just, he's, that's dedication. And, and he's, that's yeah, awesome. And he's, a, and he's a super guy and he's a great player. So between the two of them, we have this like unbelievable sort of, uh, bass thing going and the ongoing joke with star collector is always that we're always between bass players because we've had 19 different people man the bass at some point so bass collector is so, the real name bass collector is the real name that's right <laughs> so anyway so tony the reason i brought up tony is because the other day he was working on the song on that album just before beautiful noise he was working on it a song called play a new song and he was just going over it and I guess he didn't, once he got to the end, he let, he let it play, let the album play. And he immediately sent me a message and said, holy crap, I don't, uh, I, I, I've never, I haven't heard this song before. We, you know, we should really do it. I love this song. I said, oh, be- which one? He said, Beautiful Noise. And my, one of my other brothers, Paul, has always said that's one of his favorites too. It's just one of those ones that I guess we, um, we never played live too much. Huh. And it's a bit older now uh so when we go to play songs off that album we tend to there's two or three that we tend to play more often um but I, it that's a song too and i'm not again surprised that this one resonates with you because it's um it's actually a song about mental health ah. and i wrote it i wrote it as a support for a, a close friend of mine who's a musician who was going through a rough time back then and um it was sort of a song of encouragement and support um for him so yeah it definitely uh, called to me there was something about that one as well and then we'll do a you know what we do like we try to do for everybody on the show we uh you know do the interview and then we uh you know pick those songs and we do a little nice little like hour section just for you on the show here on unlikely places so there'll be a nice little Vic Wayne Star Collector section here in the second half of the show. Or we what we do is it's the second half when I'm building the show and then we mix it in with the first half. So it's like blended. And then so, you know, not one, you know, I feel like when I listen to radio shows, if there's like just one section of all the same stuff, I kind of seem even if it's good and even if I like it, I don't seem as, uh, you know, excited. But when I mix things okay, up, it's so just you're gonna, personal. You're going to break it up amongst the show. You're going to yeah, play like so, um, if you, uh, you know, like check out uh, on our website here and I'm trying to promote other things. But uh, <laughs> if you check out yeah, Lady yeah. Flowers uh, interview we did from Big Star Records or even uh, Joey Mullen. No, Joey Mullen was one thing. Um, if you check out Lady Flowers, uh, his thing, we like put it before the songs, like little clips. And mm-hmm. uh, for the one that's coming up that you guys are song of the week for, for the pretty things, um, John and uh, uh, Wally, we decided, I decided to do five minute, like full on clips from the interview. So it's a little different, but we, it's whatever works. Uh, but I mixed the songs into the first hour. So it's not just all, you know, first hours, the regular show, second hours, just put pretty things. I'd rather mix everything up because I feel sure. like if it was just all one thing, uh, somebody could just tune out and listen to them on their own. I always feel like if it's a mix, there's a little bit of surprises in there too. And I like playing sure. new artists as well. 
yeah, my, yeah. my no, charts are funky. All good. My charts are fun. Yeah. Um, this is all, you know, we're, we're, uh, you're finishing up here. So, uh, with the, uh, with how we do the charts, it's hilarious for me is I use a randomizer because I don't get to see my numbers, like what, what's getting viewed the most and everything. And in all honesty, I pick a song of the week. So song of the week is always number one. And I like throwing a randomizer. So there's no bias because if all honesty, if I was real, I'd just be putting my own shit on there, <laughs> you know, like, um, uh, but I don't, I refuse to put any of my own songs on the charts. Um, I will chart if like, for example, it's one of our Robo Jack artists because it's a different person. Yeah. Um, but if it's, yeah, if it's, fair. I, my, my trade off is that I don't chart myself ever. Uh, because I want others. There's, it's an empty chart. If I got number one all the time, there's no feeling to getting a number one. I put myself yeah. at number one. There's no I feeling. Think, I think it's. I think people would would be a little bit sort and that of, too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So a little yeah, no, questioning, that's, like that's what good. happened there. It was funny that you said, you know, nudge nudge, and then you're like, hey, song of the week question mark, and I'm like, it's already planned. I already, I already picked the song before you said it, which was originally, uh, you know, slow fade. So it was, uh, it was kind of funny that it just switched, but it was just some songs they call to you, and it's like that's it. Um, you know. Oh well, that's like I said. I'm, I'm. You know, I mean, I love both yeah. those songs. And, and um I, I got. You know, I'm no, I love finding the artists that like hate their songs, and they're like, "Why'd you pick that one? I hate that song." It's like, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry. I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have any. I don't have anything that we've released that I hate. If it did, mm, we would good. never release it. I, I there mean, there's go. some songs I prefer to others. Like, you know, I mentioned that one uh, show that this other guy did a while back where on the demo model album he picked the song like i said it would have been my 12th of 12 <laughs> but um but whatever like i still like it enough to release it and that's you know i think that's that's the that's, that that's, the, that's important too yeah yeah like it happens from experience you know you were you and i were talking a minute ago about you know the the way that people can work together as musicians it comes mm. from experience it, when it comes to writing songs you learn to write better songs by doing it more by experience and it's the same thing with making records that I found at least in my own for for us. This is just for us. I can't speak for other people. Mm -hmm. But over the years, having made a lot of records and a lot done probably as many unreleased uh, albums as released albums, you know, like I have tons of demos that were recorded that never made it out out. After over years of doing that over and over again, you start to be able to recognize the the stuff that's not up to scratch a lot quicker when you're young you think everything that comes mm -hmm. out of your ass is you know a gold nugget <laughs> oh, but yeah. as you write as you write more and more and as you make records more and more you start to go yeah i don't know i don't think that song's quite cutting it let's just leave let's finish recording it but leave it off the album yeah and so anything that makes one of our albums uh, you know i kind of think it deserves to be heard at some point but if you ask me you know it, between slow fade and one of the other this other song i 10 times out of 10 i'm gonna say play slow fade because t to me like slow fade is, yeah is, i understand uh, you know but but the, that's the great thing about music it's like everyone's got their own slant yeah. on it and, and i'm i'm thrilled with the choices you made and i and i'm flattered that you want to um play them on your show so thanks no and, and thank you for coming on i mean it's kind of just it's funny how the universe works in this in this in a weird way too it's like i needed to hear somebody saying like look i've been through some shit too like life is life you know and just hearing from your songwriting i'm mentally inspired to just keep going because life is a very rough game it's not as i'm getting you know older I mean, i'm learning but it's it's not easy Jeremy, uh, this yeah. is one thing i this is something i've learned for sure mm -hmm. 
is anybody that tells you they haven't got their own shit somewhere in their life or their family <laughs> is lying. Yeah, I, I yeah. Everybody's got something. Nobody's life is, is no. You know, it, you'd be a robot. Them. You're 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 it's, not it's doing anything. <laughs> so, if someone tells you that they're probably full of shit. So, yeah. No, so I, I agree just, with that no, definitely. <laughs> so I'm I'm actually really um I'll be really honest with you. I'm really impressed, and I didn't know you were as young as you are, but I'm mm. hugely impressed with your um ability to share your journey with people um outwardly because most people that go through some of the stuff that you're going through i don't want to share it and it's it's a rough thing by I've, sharing it you're, yeah. you're doing what's necessary to be able to get through it because people that bottle stuff up mm-hmm. it's not working man and it's, i have people uh, that i know that tell me to stop like tell me to stop sharing because what it is is i no, think what it I is disagree. is they're confronting their demons they see oh this part, you know, but that's why, like, I have my select group of family. I'm really happy that you stayed in the family chat. I understand why people left. I told them immediately when I made the chat, like, this is dangerous to have all these folks into one chat. I'm expecting everybody to leave. Uh, but I said, you know, right in the beginning, yeah, everybody's free to come in or come out. If somebody wants to come back in, you know, I mean, it was cool to see, like, Terry Draper in group. Terry Draper left group. But it was cool to see the guy from Clat 2 just pop in and out, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I don't, I I don't respond that. too much of it because I got a lot no. going on, but I do keep it up there. And, and But I'm, I'm actually even talking about outside of the group, just that you're willing to, to oh, share yeah. your That's how other people, it's the whole destigmatization. That's what I was going to say, that there's, there's such a, yeah. And people don't like to talk about it because it makes them uncomfortable. And, and the, the people that don't understand it, it fear it, well, and, and fear becomes oh, hate. 100%. Yeah. Well, it just becomes, yeah, squirmy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the even though we didn't play this song, um, just, you know, this is something that if you want to explore that uh, sure. theme a little further, just, you know, off the air, um, our song Rip It Off is exactly about what we're talking about. Okay. Right I will, I will, I, I, I will re-listen to that album again now with a whole different perspective. That's another thing too, not knowing the song stories and not knowing is such a cool feeling, but I'm one of those, like I dig deeper than I re-listen because I'm like, now I get a whole different perspective. It's like when David Bowie released black star, I was like, what the hell is this? And then he died. And I was like, yo, this is gold. <laughs> it was like, this is such an insane album. Cause he knew he was dying and nobody right. knew. It was like, right. oh my, I love Bowie to death. And it was just like, oh, this is insane. At first, I did not like Black Star, but then it changed because it was another rethinking, the restory. It wasn't a Ziggy yeah. Stardust album. No, it no, was a David Jones life album. You know, right. it was David Bowie being himself. I want to thank Vic for coming on. 